John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. have accessed entry 1178.IS1106, certificate number 35519, Samantha Smith. Somebody told me you went to, uh, was it a summer camp or a version of a summer yes. camp for a few days with a... Um, I was really surprised. Usually I'm really shy to meet new kids, but I was so surprised as soon as I touched the ground from getting down the stairs off the plane they grabbed me and pulled me onto the bus yeah so kids are pretty much the same everywhere you think huh yeah uh, unfortunately you didn't get to meet uh, uh yuri and drop off did you no. no why did what did they tell you was going on why didn't you get a chance to meet him they just said that he was too busy just too busy <laughs> yeah. yeah i guess world leaders get pretty busy sometimes samantha smith Samantha Smith. You were at, uh, a couple months ago, you you uh, came over to our Christmas party. I did. And for some reason. There were a lot of people there. For some reason. There were, there were too were many a people. A lot of people there. I know you don't know that many people. It would have been better if you hadn't come. There were mm. already a lot of people. You take up a lot of space. I do. Not just physically, but, you know. Emotional Conversationally. Space. Yeah. Uh, no, we were, we were happy to have you, but we were doing the Seattle thing where we thought maybe half of the people would say right. yes. And no one would come. We, yeah. That's kind of what I was hoping for. I, I, I like the scenes in movies where somebody sits and waits for their romantic partner to come and then the, it fades to the candles having burned down. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping for. I, I parked myself in the corner of the kitchen and your parties are distinguished by the fact that there are a lot of kids at, at our parties <laughs> at your house. And I'm sitting in the corner talking to somebody and there was a teen, some teenage boy who was really fascinated by the punch you know, it's just apple cider or whatever, but there was punch that was near, near to me. Did he have a little flask? Was he from the fifties? No, he was just filling up his little cup, but he was a teenager who had not been properly instructed on how to address adults or to acknowledge them. And so he would come, we'd be talking me and some other adult, and he would come into the space, our adult space with his sort of now almost adult sized teen gangliness. He's lurpy. And he would need some of this stuff, but he wouldn't know how to acknowledge other people. You know, he's looking at the floor or whatever. And he wouldn't know how to say, he didn't know how to say, excuse me or hello or anything. And so he kept coming through as this kind of ghoul, this like <laughs> otherworldly specter. It's a Christmas ghoul. And I, it's Marley's ghost. <laughs> I was, I kept saying, hello, young man, are you here for more, more cider? And he's, you know, uh, 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 uh. So, I like that you're Mr. Fezziwig. <laughs> Hello, fill your cups. <laughs> what I get out of the story is that you and some other guy are just kind of blocking the punch bowl. Oh, sorry, I wasn't a guy. Sorry. I was standing in the corner of the kitchen and one by one, every woman in the party came over to talk to me. <laughs> is it because you were by the punch? No. <laughs> Each one came over at some point and said, are you John Rodri? I just wanted to say what an admirer of you I am. The second you came in, we could all sense your musk. Every female <laughs> take, ear in the room twitches. You upward. take up a lot of space in this party. Has anyone <laughs> ever told you? Uh, yeah, we had way too many people. I think the problem is we did it early in December. We were like, oh, you know, but that's before people. You are thought playing. you were being smart. Right. We did it on some, uh, it was Central European themed in honor of you. We had, yeah. uh, you know, kind of Germanish holiday treats. Right. There, was a sour, there was a sour Broughton pretzels. Yep. But uh, it was St. Whatever's Day, some early December day when people bring gifts. Yeah, it was December 2nd. St. Benedict Day, or I don't know, what's Sunday? St. Stephen's. St. Saint, Saint uh, Gregor. St. Gregor. It was St. Gregor, obviously, the patron saint of early gift giving. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, the only reason I am mentioning this party at such great length <laughs> is because somebody mentioned Samantha Smith somehow. At the party. At the party. Do you not remember this? And you and I were talking and I was like, we should do Samantha Smith. Oh, sure. We should put Samantha Smith in the omnibus. We were there by the punch bowl. We were there by the punch bowl. Yeah. Some awkward child came up is lurking <laughs> mentioned samantha smith <laughs> he's playing Fortnite on his phone and trying to get punch at the same time what's interesting about samantha smith is it's right in my this all happened right when i was the most attuned to global politics every entry in the omnibus is uh, in around 1983 the only year that matters right 83 because of, of pac-man fever i absolutely remember and drop off coming in you know brezhnev going out as we say the euphemism for when a Soviet leader dies. He didn't die in some suspicious strontium cocktail way. Not he was just old and his eyebrows collapsed under their own weight. <laughs> and smothered him. Yeah, he was smothered by his eyebrows in his sleep. But in researching Samantha Smith, I have almost no recollection of this in real time. And I can't imagine how that's possible. That's interesting uh, that you should say that because I had the same experience kind of at the time. She had kind of a 15 minutes of fame. And by the time I started seeing her on TV, I, ha I had never heard this uh, whole story. So I think it's likely that people 5,000 years hence have also never heard of Samantha Smith. Unless, right. unless Sam Smith, the, the Oscar-winning pop musician, uh -huh. transitions at some point, in which case. Hmm. Or it may be that Soapy Smith gets <laughs> conflated with Sam Smith. I don't know who Samantha Smith, Smith is. Is oh. Soapy Smith a Sunday comics character? <laughs> we should do Soapy Smith in the <laughs> omnibus. Soapy Smith and Barney Google? Who's, who, it sounds like a, like an evil gambler from a 70s Disney movie There you go. There you go. Soapy Smith is a gambling man. Is he, he's part of Alaskan lore. Uh, Alaska. Is he a sourdough? Uh, is he some kind of old a, a prospector? Yeah, let's call him a sourdough. What if we did just every entry from now on about prospect about old prospectors? <laughs> well, this is a story about old not whole slim. <laughs> His claim was way <laughs> up in Coldwater Canyon. Uh, Samantha Smith uh, was uh, a ten-year-old girl from Maine in 1983, where we lay our scene. I guess when we lay our scene. Mm -hmm. As a child, did you ever write a letter to a celebrity? No, I've thought about this a lot. You were never like, dear President Carter, here's no. what I think about solar. I get a lot of letters and have for a long time from people, including sometimes insulting letters written in a calligraphic hand. Are there any of them from children? Um, dear Mr. Roderick, I can't reach the punch. <laughs> in my, please, please respond at your earliest convenience. In my, in my uh, experience, I feel like a lot of them are from children uh, <laughs> or childlike hands. <laughs> And it always, uh, since the beginning of email and social media, it struck me that I never would have written a letter to a musician that I admired or a public figure. Tell me why. It just didn't seem like it was my station. Right. It's like, not seemly. Yeah. What the heck do I have to say to interrupt this person? And also, as much as I trusted the males, I didn't ever trust that it would get to the person themselves. I expected it would be opened in an antechamber by some staff. You know, I remember seeing the pictures of the Beatles with like Santa Claus bags full of mail. Uh-huh. And you didn't want to add to their woes. Yeah, I just wasn't. I didn't figure that they got anything out of those letters. That's uh, probably accurate. And so when young people or normal people started writing me letters, and then even worse, like tweets and emails and stuff, I just felt like what it's, it's a karmic imbalance. Yeah. Like you're like, I never bothered Leif Garrett. <laughs> why the heck are you, why do you feel like you can tweet me? And then I realized that that was early on. And then I realized, oh, that's the price you pay for all the other wonderful things about social media. Well, of, of having fans, there's certainly upside to having people care about you enough to want to say hi. Oh, and it's not the it, high. It, that, I, it's not, it's not the highs that matter. It's the, and if I were ever to have written a letter to a celebrity, it would have been like Samantha Smith's, you know, dear sir, why is it that you are doing such a poor job of managing the country? Get on the stick. <laughs> Signed John Roderick. I do want to read the actual text of Samantha Smith's letter, which, it's a great letter. which cracks me up. I'm with you. I, I never had a class assignment. That's the thing that happens today where teachers will be like, let's all write to, to JK Rowling or right. let's all write to, um, well, you should write senator. to your congressman, right? Sure. I mean, everybody should learn to do that. 
but um, the, the idea that authors are getting bothered, you know, please fill out these 10 questions. Yeah, right. I've seen many authors online be like, I'm sorry, I can't answer your Dear J.K. Rowling. Please tell your teacher I can't do your homework. <laughs> Where did you get the name of Mugwort? Mortimer Mugglewump. <laughs> the only experience I had as this uh, with this as a kid was um, we were in like a Walden Books or a B. Dalton, you know, one of the mall stores that used to exist when malls existed. Sure. And there was a book called, I think, The Book of Addresses or The Address Book or something, which was nothing but an alphabetical list of celebrity addresses. Oh, what an awful, awful karmic debt that person owes to the world. So looking back now, there's no way they were home addresses, right? It wasn't like, go to Mickey Mantle's apartment, bug the hell out of him. I'm I'm sure it was... um, Did you ever buy a star map, a Hollywood star map? I never have. Are there still guys selling maps to the stars' homes? I haven't seen one in a long time. I was just last week, I was talking to somebody who lives up in, um, I don't know, Hollywood Hill somewhere. And he was saying, you know, he's had this house for a long time and it was kind of the, the dumpy house in the nice neighborhood, but you know, he's got celebrity neighbors and with, with amazing views and amazing pools. And he was saying that all those maps are completely inaccurate. Oh really? Yeah. Like when he gets a map of his neighborhood, he'll be like, nope, 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 nope. Cause it's a mixture of just old news and received wisdom and right. probably just outright invention. People are driving around looking for Douglas Fairbanks Jr.'s house and who cares whether it's the one, the right one or the wrong Is one? Is he your go-to celebrity? <laughs> when I think of Hollywood today, I think of Douglas Fairbanks Jr. Where did Lucille Ball live? Uh, yeah, but uh, some of them are current, right? It's going to be like, right. this is Vanna White's house. This right. is Susan Lucci's house. These are your celebrity go-tos? Yeah. Vanna White? Nobody's more popular today than Vanna White and Susan Lucci. You know what I did yesterday? Uh, this is a parenthetical to a parenthetical to a parenthetical. Mm-hmm. I was doing the math to see... What a vowel would have cost on Wheel of Fortune in 1975 in today's money. This is an interesting uh, little foible or uh, like a uh, like a amuse-bouche. A, a weird way for me to spend my time. Yeah, so how much is a vowel uh, in today's dollars? So they're, 250, they're still $250 as they have been since January 1975 huh. when the show debuted with Chuck Woolery and not Vanna White, Susan Stafford. Uh, if you do the math, you know, just the government's CPI Consumer Price Index Calculator, uh, a vowel would be worth. You wrote this down? I did. And I don't remember the exact number, but it's a better deal even than the Costco hot dog that's still a buck 50 loads many years later. $1,205.53. $1,205. That's what a vowel should be worth today. And yet Pat Sajak is like, you know what? I'm going to let you have this for $250. That's That's a $953 discount. I never understood why you would buy a vowel, but then I started realizing, oh, because there's always going to be a vowel. Right. And it should cost you. Otherwise, you'd just go A, E, I, O, U. I'll take all the vowels. Okay, now I'll spin. Right. When, you, when you're guessing a, a consonant, you're risking a lot. Right. Vowels, you've got much better odds. Right. We were talking about this, I just realized, because of this book of addresses oh, sure. that I found. And uh, I'm sure it was just P.O. Boxes and William Morris Agency, right? Like, there's no way they were actually telling people where uh, Chuck Woolery lived. Deborah Winger lived right. or whatever. But my dad bought this because he really wanted to write a letter to Isaac Asimov. Oh. He had, you know, yeah. as you do. Sure. I think when we were living in South Korea and he had found in the some bookseller uh, kind of a, a pirated translation of The Caves of Steel or some, um, some 50 foundation. sci-fi classic. Yeah, exactly. Some old-timey Asimov book. And he wanted to send it to Dr. Asimov, doctor, with his, you know, compliments. My dad wasn't is a big sci-fi fan and he got a letter back, you know, a very nice, uh, it turned out Asimov was one of these guys who hand typed and signed a nice little letter saying, uh, thank you. I've seen copies of this book from, you know, Yugoslavia and Uh uh, Egypt and Venezuela, but I have not seen one from South Korea. Thank you for adding this to my collection. Blah, blah, blah. Um, best Isaac Asimov. My dad was so excited. He framed this letter. And I think this was when it occurred to me, you could, you could write to famous people. I never did it more out of laziness than dignity probably but well you're now you're causing me to recall that i did once write (gasps) a famous person it's out and i to blackmail them uh, i never i was a young person and i wrote a a much older person to say excuse me i'm trying to get to the punch (laughs) but i'm extremely (laughs) shy um no i wrote the comic strip artist Lynn Johnson. <laughs> for better or for worse? For better or for worse. Uh, she's a Canadian. She is a Canadian. And, you know, I followed the comics 
rather closely. As did I, Soapy Smith. <laughs> Soapy Smith. Were you sad when Farley the dog died? Were you no. mourning Farley? No. So you you may recall. I almost certainly did not recall. <laughs> <laughs> Although if you followed the comics closely. Uh, so Lynn, Lynn Johnson started doing For Better or For Worse, I think in the 1980s. Yeah. And it was one of the rare comic strips where the children were aging in real time. Mm -hmm. When the show started, at the time, I think maybe it was the first one, that the kids were little and then they, be, they started to have teenage problems and then they, start, you know, they, they grew up. And at a certain point after the kids were having sort of college issues or, or they were about to go to college or something, and I remember watching, reading the strip, being very curious because the, the, her, her kids were just a little bit younger than I was. Did you feel like you were uh, Michael or whoever the? No, but but these were characters that had had been with me throughout my sure, they, teen years. They grew up with you. And she decided to reset the strip and go back to the kids being kids again. Okay. Because I'm sure when she started doing the strip, she thought you know, what's going to happen 10 years from now, I'm still going to be doing this thing. You know, it seemed like a good idea. She should have realized Gasoline Alley is like in its 110th year. And so all the characters, you know, are, uh, right. they still remember Calvin Coolidge, but they're somehow still <laughs> knocking around. They're still, yeah, yeah, right. I mean, how Peanuts were, I think Peanuts actually aged in the very earliest days of Peanuts. They were little Yeah, little they have kids. they have big heads with little features down at their chins. Yeah, and and Lucy was a was a toddler, yeah, and she's younger than the rest of them. Linus right? Linus can't talk; yeah. he's just a baby. And then they got to be whatever that age that they remained, which was somewhere I I, I kind of put them at about eight years old. That seems right. They they stabilized. They stabilized at eight for sixty more years. But anyway, I wrote Lynn Johnston right before she made this decision because I could see it looming because I followed the comics very closely. And this weighed heavily on your teenage mind. Well, I said, you know, dear Miss Johnston, I, uh, Johnston, I love your comic. I've followed it religiously. I've, uh, I literally have a religion based I, on, <laughs> I admire your, your Canadian household foibles. Yeah, I admire the, the, that you have portrayed the struggles of your teen children fairly accurately from my perspective as a teen. And, uh, I'd like to encourage you to continue to let the children grow because you have an audience of young people who are interested in seeing you tackle the challenges of being 19 and 22. Sincerely yours, you know, your fan, teen John Roderick. And she sent me back a drawing, uh, for better or for worse, um, not a, not a whole strip, which would have been a nice. Was it just a sketch? Or it was just, she just drew a sketch on a paper that said like, thanks for writing. I appreciate your comments. Well, that's very nice. It was. I still have it in a box somewhere. That's the one, per can you imagine the one person I ever wrote? You were so confident in your sense of self that you had never written to any celebrity, but it, part of you was thinking asterisk, except for cartoonist, Listen, Lynn, Lynn Johnston. Cartoonists and I, I mean, I, I used to write reviews of the cartoons in the in the Sunday paper. And who did you write this for? No, I just wrote them for myself. For yourself. I mean, I wrote them for the newspaper that I was compiling. Um, what's weird is that I probably wrote that letter to Lynn Johnston right about the time that Samantha Smith was in the headlines. So I must have been skipping over stuff in the newspaper or her contemporary fame has been exaggerated in the histories. She was on Johnny Carson twice. Um, the night she got her, she, the night she got her letter in reply, she was on Nightline who found out which hotel she was staying at and scooped the Today Show where she was supposed to be the next morning. I mean, it was kind of a, a, a nine days wonder, but it was the equivalent of a viral thing wow. um, because it's a delightful story. She's a, she's just a fifth grader living in Manchester, Maine, who, as we've talked about many times on the podcast, an early eighties child is worried about the specter of nuclear war. Yes. Um, really can't emphasize enough how tense that time was as like kind of a 1983 in particular is kind of a near Cuban missile crisis confluence of things. That was the year uh, in May of that year, Reagan gave his evil empire speech right. that in September, that's when, um, the Soviet shoot down that Korean, Korean jet, uh, 007. Um, uh, yeah. KL 007, which I think, you know, I went down a rabbit hole yesterday reading about. KAL 007 and how 
there are people who think the survivors are still alive in, uh. in Siberian orphanages or, or something. Um, so this should definitely be an entry in the omnibus. Oh, 007. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll talk. I remember that very because that it happened like proximate to Alaska, right? It was sure. it, it was there. So we were very conscious. Of well, it. I, I may have said this on the omnibus before. I was flying from Seattle to Seoul that night the same night, no. except we took a nonstop flight and maybe on Northwest, I should ask my parents this. Um, really? So we got into Kimpo airport and there's just people standing around staring at the board, You're kidding. wondering where this plane is. So You're a witness to history. I guess, except that I was like seven and jet lagged and just wanted to go home. Whoa. One of the kids that the conspiracy theorists think has, you know, was adopted by some Kamchatka family was actually went to my uh, elementary school. She was, there was a big picture of her in the yearbook, you know, how, how it's always like, oh, the kid in the high school who died or whatever, except she got shot down by a, by a MIG. Unbelievable. So anyway, that happened in September and sometime that fall was, uh, was Abel Archer, which I didn't know about this, this massive NATO exercise built around these new Pershing two missiles that mm -hmm. had been brought into Europe, which I guess scared the hell out of the Politburo. Like they thought this was literally an invasion and not an exercise. Yeah. Well, this is all part of my future entry, uh, about the Fulda Gap. Cross-reference, fold a gap. Fold a gap. Entry number TBA <laughs> dot TBA. Yeah, the SS-20 uh, strategic missile. No, it wasn't a strategic missile. It was a tactical nuclear missile. Uh, really scared the U.S. Or scared NATO. And so then they responded with these Pershings. And uh, then, which are six minutes from Moscow. Yeah. And the Soviets are like, this is not an exercise. We need to actually put stuff on alert and yeah. maybe launch. Uh, and that was, I think, the inspiration for the song Noine Noin Luftballons. <laughs> Is that the official By spelling? Nina. <laughs> By Noina? <laughs> Noine Noin Luftballons. I think you're right. And Abel Archer, weirdly, I think it happened the same weekend or the weekend before, the day after aired oh, right. on NBC, which is the thing that scared everybody, including Reagan. Reagan watched, you know, as a former movie guy, he would watch all these Cold War movies and he'd call an aides and be like, you know, I just saw war games. Can they, could they really hack into, and people would be like, actually, yes, Mr. President. And that would change policy. And he saw, he saw that he and Nancy watched the day after and were very, very, um, just kind of sobered by, oh, I'd never heard that by what would happen to middle America in, in the case of a nuclear war. And in his journals in the Reagan library, you can read him saying, well, they're going to try to spin this for the no nukes. But I think what we need to do is talk about a strong deterrent. You know, he was thinking, yeah, you know, yeah. how do we use day after to promote you know, the evil empire rhetoric. I'd like to compliment you on your Ronald Reagan impression. No, that's not a good Reagan. No, it wasn't had, a good I had, one. I had, but I had several like... <laughs> minutes to, to kind of uh, stabilize on it and it was still not good. I'd still like to compliment <laughs> you on even ri on risking an attempt. That's what I like. I like the, the unearned compliment. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. I, I'm going to take that. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get Get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free, plus $20 off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. That's butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. So 1983 is a very tense year. It was. Samantha Smith in school is studying not just... Uh, I had a fourth grade teacher that would really sober us with um, endangered species and the Amazon's disappearing and this is what the radiation's going to do. Right. And she must have had one of these teachers as well because <laughs> she's, she, you know, or she either watches a documentary either at school or at home about what will happen to the environment in the case of nuclear winter. She's very scared. And she's a little older than you, right? She was born in 1972, yes. Samantha. She's a couple years older than me and a few younger than you. Right. Right in the middle. Um, but you, I'm sure you can identify with that kind of like those nighttime terrors of, you know. Is this the night? Yeah. Well, we've talked about it, I think, a lot, but we can talk about it a lot more. Um, but growing up in Anchorage, you know, they scrambled jets to intercept. Could you uh, hear them? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. They'd shake the town because you know, the, jet, the jets would go full, full afterburner, like right off the runway um, because they were F-4s, which were super loud 
uh, fighters, and they were sent. They were they were Russian bear bombers that would come over um, the you know the Bering Strait and do these incursions into American airspace. They just wave at Tom Cruise and, and just and then the jets would go up and shadow them, and they. But every time the jets would scramble, like all the windows would rattle, and you you were forced to ask the question, like, is this it? That's a very visceral reminder. This is the exact sound it's going to be yeah. when it actually is it. It could be it. I mean, they're not going to tell us. And then, oh, and noon on Fridays, they would they would run the air, the air raid siren. Every Friday? And you'd hear it everywhere. I mean, it would stop everyone cold because for an entire minute, this thing would, there's an air raid siren right now. Right in your neighborhood. We have talked about this. <laughs> We've talked about how it doxes me to reveal how close I live to, yeah. to Seattle's last air raid siren. But it's um, it was terrible. You know, so spooky, so terrifying. Like the like a diesel locomotive sound in the middle of the night. Was Alaska the only place that would have been doing this in the? I don't remember. No, there are places, I don't remember air raids in Seattle in the late seventies. There are places example. still in the United States where they sound the air raid siren on uh, at noon on Fridays or something. Um, Is it to like? Test it. Is it like, um, because it's also a tornado warning or they use it for other things. Mm -hmm. They, they use that siren as a public address. In Southern Utah, it's like, what if the United Nations is coming? Yeah, right. (laughs) What if if the black helicopters? Here they come (laughs) hit the dirt. So 1983, I was, and I think it had a profound effect on my generation that we expected the big one uh-huh. at all times. You never unclenched. I wonder if it makes me a bit of a nihilist because you. I really did feel like there's nothing I can do. I have no control over this. Yeah. It's a feeling you get on a plane where you're like, well, something could go wrong on this flight, but I'm not, I'm not the pilot. What can I do? I think it's behind a lot of the survivalism and prepper culture yeah. because a lot of those people are my age. I, they are our age, yeah. And they grew up thinking like, how am I going to survive after, after the day after? And now they're in their late forties and fifties and they're filling up a bunker with the Jim Baker, Baker buckets. Why are none of them uh, making a handy audio encyclopedia for the apocalypse? Like, why are we the only ones who have thought of this? Wait a minute. <laughs> what if we could get all <laughs> the preppers? the entire premise of our show. What if we get all the preppers into podcasting? <laughs> Wouldn't that be, I mean, all these, all these companies selling, uh, powdered milk would go out of business, but you, you know what we should do? We should start a network and have it be a prepper network. And then we just take all the profits, <laughs> right? That seems to be the, how, how you make a success in podcasting. Um, and so it was, it was kind of appropriate given the actual level of fear, especially among children, that a lot of the rhetoric about the cold war at this time was, uh, you know, like the sting song, you know, do the Russians love their children too? Right. There was a lot of like, you know, what, what are we, even at the time, I think we were aware, you know, mutually assured destruction, you know, what is it doing to these kids? Even if it sounded like a good idea at Harvard. But they were mysterious Eastern slobs with, with, uh, inscrutable, like, uh, an, an inscrutable hardness to them where it seemed like maybe their desire for world domination was such uh, that the, they would be willing to annihilate everyone. That's the, st- that's the premise of the sting song. Like yeah. what if, do the Russians love their children? Yeah. It's 1985 and we are not sure. I, it's kind of insane, but at the same time, like all weird racisms or cultural racisms, like the, we successfully othered to them. I yeah. Guess you you the, think your time is different. Yeah. Of course, I wouldn't have been in on these communist witch hunts in the 50s, but, but have you seen this migrant caravan? You know, like yeah. you carve out your own. Actually, anybody against the caravan would have been against the communists in the 50s too. So maybe that's a bad example. Um, but Yuri Andropov comes to power in the Soviet Union after the death of Brezhnev. Um, and Brezhnev was a baddie. We thought of him as a baddie, but he was a kindly old grandfather. He'd been through a lot, right? Brezhnev, if he had wanted to start a global war, Brezhnev had a lot of opportunities. But Andropov was seemed slightly younger and more vital and also more evil. Question mark. Who is this guy? He was the director of the KGB. He was the former head of the KGB, and he was famously a hardliner. And he had decided late in Brezhnev's career that he could leave the KGB, come to Moscow, and kind of maybe assemble a little ladder to power. Right. And was actually successful in doing so. He was famously like the guy in, he was what, the Russian ambassador to Hungary during the Hungarian uprising. He was the one that told Imre Naj, like, 
yeah, yeah, it'll be fine. And then, and then the tanks, then the rolled tanks in. came in and he was like, ha, ha. he directed the, the KGB during the, during the Prague spring, like at, he, there were a lot of dings on his resume. The more you knew about him, the more you'd be like, and you do the Roddy Dangerfield thing with your collar. <laughs> ying, ying, ying. Uh, he was on the cover of Time magazine uh, in uh, November of 1982, I think. And uh, the Smith family in Manchester, Maine subscribed to Time. As did everyone. <laughs> everyone got Time. <laughs> Isn't that weird? <laughs> it is. I mean, you read Time. I read Time. We all read time. You go to the library. You could check out any time you want. But you can, but you <laughs> but could you never, can never leave. leave. Oh, some, some people hang could, on. Wait a minute. Do you still have a, There we go. You didn't have to go to the library because everybody had it. Maybe yeah. your neighbors got Newsweek. Your weird neighbors got US News and World Report or something. I knew people that subscribed to people. They were they were like affluent. People who need people. <laughs> they were, They're the luckiest people in the world. These people were lucky. They were neighbors and they were, you know, he was a doctor she was a housewife. They were affluent um, suburban people, but they subscribed to People, and it was shocking to me. It was like, who reads People? People? There goes the neighborhood. People. Like, it's it's about people. Like, you guys don't have time? Uh, and this was probably in the same time I was writing Lynn Johnston. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you reading People when you could be writing reviews of Croc and Garfield? So uh, young Samantha Smith sees, you know, she's, she's got a puppy. She's got a terrarium full of mice, normal kid, but she sees on drop off on the cover of time magazine. I, uh, the, you know, it's explained to her who she is. I'm sure the article paints him as a, as a hardliner and a boy who knows what's going to happen now with Russia. That's right. Cold war heating up, blah, blah, blah. And we're talking about star Wars a lot at this point. Oh, it was yeah. maybe pre before it was called star Wars, but. Strategic defense initiative. Yeah. That's something that messes with all the weird math of mutually assured destruction. Mm -hmm. And she's convinced that this is the bad guy that's going to blow up the Eastern seaboard. Apparently she'd already been to DC on a field trip. I think maybe her parents suggest, well, why don't you write a letter? You know, you could write to President Reagan or, or to the premier Andropov. And I guess she'd already been to DC and she later told Ted Koppel, I thought it'd be more fun to write to mm -hmm. Andropov. Turns out she was right. Maybe she's got a little crush on him. She's, <laughs> she sees this picture on the cover of Time. And so she writes the following very brief letter. Dear Mr. Andropov, my name is Samantha Smith. I am 10 years old. Congratulations on your new job. That's nice, right? That's really nice. You know, give him a little compliment. Yeah. She's got better punch bowl uh, acumen than most kids that age. Uh, I have been worrying about Russia and the United States getting into a nuclear war. Are you going to vote to have a war or not? This is the thing, the unknowable slobs. Right. You know, what do they have up their sleeve? If you aren't, please tell me how you're going to help to not have a war. Ooh, that's that's uh, smart. A little switcheroo I on want him. you to show me. How you're, you're, yeah, but prove a negative. This question you do not have to answer, <laughs> but I would like to know why you want to conquer the world, or at least our country. Mm -hmm. Again, sinister slobs. God. You don't have to answer this, but. <laughs> she gives him an out. Uh -huh. It's very courteous. God made the world for us to live together in peace and not to fight. Oh, so she in, in, injects a little bit of. Maybe she's aware of the, the atheism of mm -hmm. uh, the Soviet bloc. Sincerely, Samantha Smith. And she sends this off to Moscow. Now, what do you think of the letter, by the way? Well, at the very end, uh, you missed the last two sentences. What do you got? God made the world for us to share and take care of, not to fight over or have one group of people own it all. Please, let's do what he wanted and have everyone be happy too. Oh, that's interesting. I feel like that's <clears throat> left out of the version on her legacy website. Maybe so. Which is maybe downplaying the family's religiosity in, yeah. in doing this. Well, and she's, I mean, that's a little tough because I think if I were in drop off, I'd be like, oh, really? Really? Is this some <laughs> kind of, did, did this come from the Methodists? Like- Let's do what he wanted. Now that you're a big celeb, you read the story of Samantha Smith and you think, what would I do in Andropov's shoes? If I were Andropov, To me, well, he's the identify, he's the <laughs> character I identify with in this story. For the last 40 years, I've been asking myself, what would you do in Andropov's shoes in 1983? <laughs> I mean, it's not, I think about this a lot. Really, you should be seeing your doctor a lot and taking your vitamins. Well, the funny thing that happens is a few months later, her letter is quoted in Pravda. And word gets back to her. So that's the thing. It was opened in an antechamber by yes. a staff member. Sure. And they were like, this is good propaganda. <laughs> Must take it to Pravda. We can use this against <laughs> decadent West. <laughs> and this is what I like about Samantha Smith. Once Pravda quotes the letter about how, you know, 
the Americans are scared of us peace-loving Russians. Right, the Americans love their children too. She actually writes to the Soviet embassy in New York, dear Mr. Ambassador, why are you quoting my letter? And yet Premier Andropov has not even had the courtesy to write me back. She's mad that she hasn't got a letter. I like this young lady. She's got a lot of moxie. She does have moxie. Uh, a lot of kids back then just had Pac-Man fever. Yeah, right. <laughs> she has moxie, a bad case of it. And I think so driven by diplomatic channels uh, in April of the following year, Andropov writes back. And uh, his letter is delightful. Uh, it's uh, typed up and signed in blue ink and a, a translation is attached. I'm sure it's you know heavily workshopped by various arms in the Kremlin because at this point they know this is going to become Western propaganda. Too. The whole world is watching. Exactly. Uh, this is where we find out if the Russians love their children too. His letter is a little longer. Dear Samantha, are we doing the voice? <laughs> you should. Dear Samantha. <laughs> I received your letter, which is like many others that have reached me recently from your country and from other countries around the world. Is he Dracula? <laughs> he might be Dracula. He's either Dracula or bulky. <laughs> yeah, he's bulky. <laughs> now we do the dance of joy. I think, I think you can just read it in your natural voice. <laughs> it seems to me, I can tell by your letter, that you are a courageous and honest girl. <laughs> Resem re resembling Becky, friend of Tom Sawyer in famous book of your compatriot, Mark Twain. Oh, uh, your friend Mark Twain. This is legitimately what he does. He's like, uh, in great American book, we yeah. all we all read. Right. Apparently, this was an American signifier that would have meant something to a lot of Russians. Right. And that they were told would, um, you know, bridge a gap. And if you look at pictures of Samantha Smith, I should say. She has a Becky Thatcher quality. She is quality. super duper Becky. She's the all-American girl. She's got a little button nose, big teeth, you know, kind of an overbite. Um, Couple of little pigtails. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I think maybe freckles. You know, she's um, kind of pretty, but in kind of a scrappy, yeah. small town girl next door kind of a she way. She goes down to the stream and collects frogs. Exactly. Yeah. She goes to the drugstore, looks at the spinner of comic books. Mm -hmm. um, Slingshot in her back pocket. <laughs> exactly. This book is well known and loved in our country by all boys and girls. You write that you're anxious about whether there will be nuclear war between our two countries. I'm leaving out all the articles. Nuclear. Uh -huh. Nuclear <laughs> war. And you ask, are we doing anything so that the war will not break out? Your question is the most important of those that every thinking man can pose. You should I will... have left the out there. <laughs> yeah. Your question is most important. <laughs> most important. important. <laughs> He's Chekhov now. <laughs> I will reply to you seriously and honestly. Yes, Samantha, we in Soviet Union are trying to do everything so there will not be war on Earth. This is what every Soviet man wants, or Soviet, you might say. Soviet man. Well, and he also, uh, it, throughout the letter, always says, this is what man wants, this is what every Soviet man wants. He's using man to refer to mankind. Right. Do you think there's some kind of, uh, I'm a masculine uh, Slavic man standing astride it does, the, the world like a colossus? It, it, it does stand out that he's writing to a little girl and he and he uses this sort of like every soviet man wants no no water with america <laughs> uh, and it does either feel like he's responding to her god made the world to be a peaceful place and he's pushing this image of like the atheist soviet man i i i'm reading too much into it but i i read that letter pretty carefully and there's a lot in it no i think i think you are not wrong about this um you know he's, he he knows there's an asymmetry that um he can look like sweet and avuncular talking to this little 10-year-old girl, but he can also kind of mansplain to a 10-year-old girl. Right. Well, and he's, he knows that this is going to be in the New York Times. So yeah. he's like, this is what every Soviet man wants. This is what great founder of our state, Vladimir Lenin, <laughs> taught us. <laughs> Soviet people well know what terrible thing war is. So, th so this is what she would often oh. refer to on talk shows as... Um, he goes on to give me a history lesson. Now he's, now he's mansplaining. Here we time. go. Let's mansplain Stalingrad. All right. 42 years ago, Nazi Germany, which strove for supremacy over the whole world, attacked our country, burned and destroyed many thousands of our towns and villages. Is this Khrushchev banging the Yeah, banging the, banging the, <laughs> the desk. Everyone in Russia is banging their desks. Killed millions of Soviet men, women, and children. In that war, which ended with our victory, we were in alliance with the United States. Together, we fought for the liberation of many people from Nazi invaders. I hope that you know about this from your history lessons in school. So maybe implication that right. American educational system, maybe not as good as great Soviet. Right. Uh, maybe hadn't told system. you about, and, and actually he's not wrong. We weren't, right. we were not told that the Soviets lost 20 million people. And that effectively the Nazis could not have been beaten without <laughs> Soviet sacrifices. Right. It's all, it's all D-Day and Eisenhower. And today we want very much to live in peace, to trade and cooperate with all our neighbors on this earth. Interesting, mm. because we did not think of the Soviet Union as being interested in trade. Trade partner, right? 
with those far away and those nearby. So, I mean, that would include Western Europe and mm-hmm. United States. Mm-hmm. And certainly with such a great country as United States of America. Oh, nice. Prost. I salute, <laughs> I salute your great country and its ideals. In America and in our country, there are nuclear weapons. Oh, let's say. You got you to admit, there are. Terrible weapons that can, can, <laughs> that can kill millions of people in an instant. But we do not want them to be ever used. That's why we have. Each That's out, right. you know, tens of thousands of them. That's right. That's precisely why the Soviet Union solemnly declared throughout the entire world that never, never will it use nuclear weapons first against any country. Take that. This was the stated position of both sides of the Cold War. That, right. Uh, we need this deterrent, but of course we will never launch first. But he's reaffirming that here. And I do remember during this period, the conventional wisdom was that they were just lying. Sure. And it's amazing to look back and and think how pervasive that mentality was. Well, they're just lying. He's saying that, but he really does want to nuke everybody first. And it's it seems to me that the NATO buildup of Europe that we were talking about does have an influence on this letter. You know that it's very much in Andropov's uh, interest to look like a a peace loving statesman when sure. there's when there's all these new missiles six minutes from Moscow. Although he may be. A peace-loving statesman. I I think we now believe that they were, we now know that they were not going to launch first. That's crazy. Why would you launch first? You're ending life on Earth. They didn't have any rocket fuel for one thing. (laughs) (laughs) They couldn't have launched. I mean, they would have launched first and the missiles would have gone all over like a whistling Pete landed on the North Pole. They had a mine shaft (laughs) gap. Um, In in general, we propose to discontinue further production of them and to proceed to the abolition of all the stockpiles on Earth. Hmm. You know, I'm not actually sure to what degree this was uh, a talking point in ongoing relations, but, you know, there there was the, the, what's the framework from the start and salt and, you know, there were these frameworks. um, But no one could ever fully agree. Let's see. No, what, what happened with salt? At this point, you know, with Reagan in office, I feel like it's kind of lip service. You know, nobody's really interested in a drawdown at this point. So let's see. Oh, SALT II in 1979 was not ratified by the U.S. Senate in response to the Soviet war in Afghanistan because, Uh, boy, we really didn't like that and we were mad, mad, mad. We'd been out of Vietnam for precisely four years, (laughs) but how dare they? We're going to stop doing sports. We're not going to go to the Olympics and we're not going to ratify precisely the treaty that would protect us all. And then the Soviet legislature did not ratify it. And the agreement expired on 1985 and was not renewed. Okay. So, so this maybe is kind of a new rhetorical shift for the Soviets to reemphasize, hey, we, we want to start slashing arsenals as well. Mm-hmm. It seems to me that this is sufficient answer to your second question. Why do you want to wage war against the whole world or at least United States? We want nothing of the kind. Mm. In Soviet Union, no, he doesn't say that. <laughs> no one in our country, neither workers, peasants, that's probably everyone. Yeah. Writers nor Ooh, doctors. Ouch. Neither grown-ups nor children nor members of the government want either a big or little war. Confusingly, little is in quotes. Yeah, well. Maybe to say conventional. I, I think that's limited. another one of these like limited limited nuclear exchanges that that were that was the bugbear of Western Europe, right? Yeah, exactly. They're just going to, we're going to, we're only going to shoot weapons 50 miles away. We'll take out a few cities. We want peace. There is something that we are occupied with. Growing wheat, building and inventing, writing books, and flying into space. He's be, he's been told what uh, projects a good image of the Soviet Union. It's yeah, all, it's these all the, things. All the stuff from the murals. Well, and, and tractors all, and satellites. All kids in Maine think about <laughs> wheat growing first. We want peace for ourselves. Yeah, he should have been like cranberries and lobsters. <laughs> he needs to pander like a like a candidate at an Iowa diner. We want peace for ourselves and for all peoples of the planet, for our children, and for you, Samantha. I invite you, so he, this escalates, I invite you, if your parents will let you, to come to our country. The best time being this summer. <laughs> I like the tacit admission that really there's like three weeks when you want to go to the, to the Soviet Union. I, I, I think he's putting it in context like, I'm super busy <laughs> until like mid-July. I can squeeze you in in early summer when I go to Crimea with, uh, with AIDS. You will find out about our country, meet with your contemporaries, visit an international children's camp, Artek, on the sea, like he even has in mind the best mm-hmm. showcase it for, is uh, the best camp. for Soviet brotherhood. And see for yourself, in Soviet Union... <laughs> he does say in Soviet Union. In Soviet Union, <laughs> summer camp, attend you. In Soviet Union, everyone is for peace and friendship among peoples. 
thank you for your letter. I wish you all the best in your young life. And uh, I wonder if the Smiths had some heads up because the same day they received the letter, again, she's booked on Ted Koppel. She's booked on the Today Show the next morning. This becomes a thing. And people are kind of excited. It's a, it's an olive branch, right? Well, so the, the direct line between the White House and the Kremlin. Um, Not a red phone. It was never actually a red phone. Uh, was like a thing that was installed post, um, post Cuban, Cuban Missile Cuban Crisis, missile crisis yeah. in order to avoid some crazy so, misunderstanding. Yeah. But it was still not. Diplomatic channels were still pretty choked. There wasn't this exchange, cultural exchange back and forth. We couldn't see their television. We didn't know what they were thinking. We could read Pravda, but we didn't have a direct personal, we never heard and drop off voice before. And the, especially the American on the street, you know, like a lot of my memories of this period are from the, the thaw, the Glasnost era thaw when, you know, it's big news because Billy Joel's going to <laughs> Moscow and now McCartney's going to Moscow. And what if Michael Jackson, you know, and you get some idea that, Hey, these are, you know, it's the way we think about Iran today. Actually, these are normal people who want Levi's and Coke. Right. Um, and that did not exist in 1983. This, no. There was no idea that these were normal people who wanted Levi's and Coke. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start. That's unlimited access to thousands of lessons, exercises, and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com slash start. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com slash start. What was amazing to me when I read that letter from Mandropov, uh, and I didn't read it in a fake in, Russian In a hilarious accent. Boris and Natasha yeah. voice. I really recommend you do that next time. <laughs> next time I will. Please take up 10 minutes of the, of the show doing that. It's hilarious. But when I, when I read it silently to myself, even though it may have been workshopped by the Central Committee, mm -hmm. I really do hear Andropov's personal voice in it. You know, it feels very much like they're just enough turns of phrase and just enough kind of, it's a lecture, but it's a, it's a friendly lecture from a kindly old man. Grandfatherly, uh, here's what you need to get about World War II. And, and at the end, I actually got a little emotional. Like I got a little choked up because I could recall the time. And again, I'm, I must have been aware of this then, but it didn't make as much of an impact on me when I was a teenager. And I don't know why. I don't know why this didn't play a larger role in my memory. Maybe you just didn't watch the talk shows on the right night. Well, but I mean, I read the newspaper every morning mm -hmm. at, at this age. Like I would, it wouldn't have escaped. Funky Winker being first. Funky, I definitely go to the, no, no, you save the comics. <laughs> right. You read the comics are the that reward. That is exactly right. Right. You start at the front page, you work your way through. I mean, I would have been aware of it and I would have read it. I just didn't, in the context of the time, I must have thought that this was just a sideshow or it was just a, something that some little kid had done. You know, like. The fact that it did make big news means that it did kind of re it uh, answered this need you're referring to where people really wanted to get some sense that maybe things were going to be okay and things could be diffused. And w what if it wasn't an unknowable boogeyman? What if they did love their children too? But I, fe I feel like, because this is 83, right? So I am, I would have been 14. Mm -hmm. And I maybe took this to be kind of a people magazine level of news. There was a ton of, entertainment coverage yeah. of this. Like People Magazine did long profiles of Samantha and here she is at school and let's meet her puppies. So it might not have seemed like serious news and it might have seemed like, oh, a kid wrote a letter in crayon to Andropov and this he replied. This is celebrity journalism. This yeah. is like letters to Santa territory. 
So I'm. So that's I, how I am about Rodman going to North Korea. By the way, is that right? I refuse. Is he going to, again? <laughs> I'm going assu- to. I'm going to assume yes. <laughs> but reading it now and and putting myself back in that time, I see it in a much more. Um, you know, I, I'm much more impressed by her and much more like impressed by his letter back. I wish I'd paid closer attention because this. I I feel like it would have given me some comfort. In the middle of a an awful news cycle, you know, um, as we've you know we've talked about what was going on at eighty three. Well, and we all, well, I mean, the the day after everyone, I mean, that, the next day at school, it was like it was, <laughs> it was like a, a blue flo- fog on yeah. everything. Everybody was just like because there were a lot of kids that didn't read the newspaper every day, but did watch that show, and it was maybe their oh, their that's their, their eye opening. That's their moment of. Yeah, so between the Evil Empire speech and the stuff that fall, uh, Abel Archer and uh, Korean Air 007 and uh, Day After, um, Samantha and her family visit the Soviet Union, what I can only assume is a heavily orchestrated and diplomatically (laughs) hammered out trip in which the Soviets want to make sure that everything is gleaming and wonderful and the Americans want to make sure there's no kind of Jane Fonda, um, you know, our citizens get used for evil propaganda purposes moments. It's like Nixon showing Khrushchev a toaster oven. Right. Do you remember the story about how Khrushchev wanted to go to Disneyland and they couldn't hammer out the security? So they go see, um, they go to Hollywood and see the making of the Shirley MacLaine musical Can Can and Khrushchev's pissed. <laughs> this, this isn't as good as Disneyland. <laughs> this is not good as Disneyland. Banging his <laughs> shoe on a soundboard. So they do all the things you would expect. They go to the Bolshoi and they, you know, visit Lenin's grave and they, they do go to this summer camp on the, down in Crimea on the Black Sea, which is some kind of, I guess, vaguely. Young uh, Soviet pioneers. Yeah, exactly. Like they go down and. and Can do spear. They're planting trees or whatever they're doing. Exactly. Right. They're, they're, well, they're cutting trail. They're learning how to, to live in a, it's not a young men's Christian association. Did you know the, yeah, it's a young men's atheist association. Or young but men and women because in Soviet Union, right. all people are. Equal. All are equal. Women drive tractor. Yeah. Did you know, by the way, that Pete, I was just reading that Peter and the Wolf was written as a, a propaganda piece by Prokofiev. It's, it's not some Russian folktale type thing. Peter is supposed to be one of these young Soviet pioneer kids. You're kidding. Who's out in the wilderness, um, I thought you know, it, making I, friends with all the animals and stuff. I thought that story was 400 years old. Because you see the Disney version and you're like, yeah, yeah. This, is, uh, this is Paul Bunyan or whatever. No kidding. Actually, Paul Bunyan's amazingly recent too. She gets to meet Valentina Tereshkova, the first woman in space. Um, everything goes off without a hitch. And uh, it's it's big in the U.S. media. I watched the clip, for example, of her on Carson when she gets back. And uh, she's very charming. She's um she's a normal kid. Like kind mm-hmm. of the, 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 the brilliance of the Samantha Smith and maybe why the uh, event had the impact it did is because she is not some grinning stage kid eager for the spotlight. Like she right. is kind of deer in the headlights on Carson. But you can tell she's very smart. At one point, Johnny asks if she can speak Russian, and she says, uh, uh, just a few words. I learned spasiba and dasvidanya. And Carson's like, oh, I don't, you know, I, I don't know any Russian. Yeah. And she says, Bolshoi. And he says, oh, uh, the ballet. Do you know what Bolshoi means? And she says, yeah, it means great or big. And he's like, yeah, that's right. It's, it's the great ballet. And she looks at him and says, I thought you didn't speak any Russian. <laughs> <laughs> and Ed is like, ho, 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 she's got you there. <laughs> So she's very, she's very quick, but, um, she's not, uh, one of these awful eager for the spotlight stage. Kids. Well, she's from Maine and, you know, people from Maine are, are hardy and, and unfettered. Um, what is the word I'm looking for? People from Maine are humble and generous and have great spirits. They're genuine. They're genuine. We spend, uh, this whole show basically, um, making fun of different regionalisms and, and uh, nationalities. And now you are in favor of Maine. Well, only. I'm terrified of Mainers is why every, everyone in Maine that doesn't live directly on the ocean is a terrifying, uh, I read, redneck. I read Hodgman's book too. <laughs> I'm afraid they're going to murder me like, uh, 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 Angela Lansbury in her little village of murder. Well, looking at Samantha Smith and, and watching some of this stuff, learning about her, I'm reminded of Tavi Gevinson. Tavi Gevinson, the teenager who started a fashion blog and just wrote sort of uh, as a pretty young girl writing about contemporary fashion and all of the fashion world became enamored with her writing. You and I have talked about Tavi before. I can't remember if it was on the omnibus. I don't think it was. It was maybe just, well, so I met her and and spent an extremely charming afternoon with her, but she's grown up now. You know, she's in her 20s. She's 22. 
And I was so impressed with her because when she was young, there was always a sense like, is this just a novelty? Is she just a, you know, she's going to end up just going to college and uh, joining a sorority. But, but you get the sense that Samantha Smith had this self-possession and that this wasn't just a teenage phase, but that she really was this, she was this person She's and a would special con- person, yeah. Yeah, continue to be a special person as she aged. And people must have seen it because even after the 15 minutes, um, you know, the, I think the Disney Channel hired her to do some election special explaining the 84 election to kids. Um, she stayed on TV. And that, that's the weirdest thing that happened is she became a, she became a regular on a TV show. <laughs> Harry and Linda Bloodworth Thompson, who created Designing Women and are probably more famous for being uh, like friends of Bill Clinton, like kind of his Arkansas entertainment oh, uh-huh. mafia. They're kind of the ones that invented the idea of politicians going on talk shows. Uh-huh. They were the ones that called the Tonight Show and said, you got to get Bill on his convention speech went bad. ABC thinks, what if, uh, Robert Wagner's going to be a single dad on this show. Let's cast Samantha Smith as one of the daughters. She's a couple years older now. I love it. She auditions. She, it turns out she's a natural. They're like, you know, this girl's very, it's all the things you see on TV. She's yeah. genuine and cute and she's going to be the next big thing. She's self-possessed. So she is cast on this show called Lime Street. Lime Street. Yeah. I don't even know where Lime Street is. He's a, he's a DC guy who travels the world, I think, investigating insurance fraud. But, you know, imagine today, if it, her becoming a regular on a TV show, it would be like if um, Malala was suddenly on NCIS or whatever, right. you know, or, uh, or had an art, had six episodes on Homeland or something. Or you and me being cast as voice actors in a hilarious, uh, comedy central cartoon show. Are you just pitching this? You're, yeah, ho- you're hoping someone. Why, why has this not happened? You've heard my Russian accent. We're famous voice people already. You've heard John's Russian accent. You've heard my Reagan. I gave you a little taste of my Carson. There's more where that came from. Futurelings right now are chuckling into their tentacles saying, ah, they are both very famous. <laughs> <laughs> they're famous in Russia, in f- future Russia. Do you think we're going to become famous in Russia and we're the only ones who don't know it? Future Russia. Future Russia. Yeah. That's what they'll call it. Yeah. It's all one word. When they're living in future Russia. It's like Futurama, future yeah. Russia. So Linda Bloodworth was very excited about casting Samantha Smith for the show. She told People Magazine, I think she's going to be president in a couple of minutes. You know, this, basically this girl is amazing. And uh, the sad end of the story is they had shot the pilot of Lime Street in the first three episodes. And uh, Samantha and her father are flying home from, I think, London. They're, they're shooting all over the world. And she catches a little commuter plane from uh, Boston back home to Maine. And it's stopping in Augusta or Lewiston or wherever it stops. Um, little 17-seat uh, commuter plane. It's a, do you know commuter planes? Yes, yeah, right? I Beechcraft do, 99, yeah. <laughs> is that sure. right? A little beach, yeah. A little, it's a prop plane, right? Yeah. And somehow, Bar Harbor Flight 1808. It was a, it was a commercial plane flight, although it only had six passengers and two crew aboard. It's still true that if you want to fly to Maine, in most cases, you fly out of the like commuter terminal and you fly up there in a putt-putt, and some kind of like... the only way to get there. And this thing was literally making flag stops at multiple Maine airports, like a Greyhound bus, which I think is not a thing that happens anymore. But somehow flying into a final approach into Augusta, Maine, both the pilot and the co-pilot's altimeters were wrong by 100 feet or so. And planes this small don't have data recorders. So we don't know exactly what happened, but they were a hundred feet lower than they thought they were. And they just flew right into some trees ahead of the runway. And everyone aboard is killed instantly, uh, uh, including uh, Samantha Smith, who is now just, I don't know, 12 or 13 years old. She's still very young. And on the brink of TV stardom, her show hasn't even aired yet. Uh. So a few episodes air, you know, it's the country does not want to see this beloved dead girl, right? You know, doing her little, last her, little moppet, doing her last little acting bit. It's a it's a downer. So the show is not a hit, and ABC pulls it and says they're going to bring it back in January, but they never do. Um, do episodes survive? Yeah, I, well, I remember watching it as a kid. You're kidding. The thing about living in South Korea is we got the weirdest shows via the uh, army, whatever sure. package deal they can negotiate with the networks. You got what you got and don't be upsot. Exactly. Yeah. Because uh, there was no way to change the channel. So I see, I saw all eight episodes of Lime Street, including I think ones that didn't air in the US. Huh. I don't remember anything about it. Although I do remember seeing Samantha Smith's name in the credits and being like, wait, is that? And then looking her up and being like, I think my mom knew, oh, that's the girl that wrote the letter to, to Russia. Of course, she was mourned in the US. It was this little commuter flight was front page news and the news was that Samantha Smith's reported dead. 
but it was huge news in Soviet Union. Wow. Because her visit over the summer had just been, a, a few summers before, had been a media circus. Um, because I guess what we never thought about was something you've alluded to. They also didn't know if we loved our children. Right. You know, in, in Russian propaganda accounts and received wisdom and just man on the street thinking, uh, Americans were the new enemy. They were Nazis, you know, and the thinking about them was the same as the thinking that had been about the previous enemy, Nazi Germany, during World War II. They're, they're, they're evil. They'll do anything. You can't identify with them in any way. And so to have Becky Thatcher visiting Lenin's tomb and hanging out with cosmonauts, right? that was a big, like, hopeful moment for them as well. Like, oh, you know, maybe they're not going to nuke us first. Like, like we assume. Maybe her best quote in all of it, because I guess she went on to be a goodwill ambassador to Japan or, I mean, there, after she got back from Russia, she was, she was trotted around as part of, uh, before she became a, uh, like a TV celebrity, she was sent around as like, well, let's see if this happens. It's not like we needed to patch up things with Japan. <laughs> Quite the same way, but you know, let's let's send her around and see if she can make us uh, look good everywhere. And she said at one point, "I think every summer, the Soviet Union and the United States should just switch grandchildren. All the grandparents should send their kids <laughs> to spend the summer in the other country, and no one would ever want to nuke the other country because their grandkids are either there or on their way there." And I was like, "What a charming!" Little strange. She, she invented uh, human shields. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that concludes Samantha Smith, entry 1178.IS1106, certificate number 35519 in the omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram are archived at at Omnibus Project. Our handles were at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick. I maintain an Instagram account under my name. What a good choice of a name to, at John to, to maintain an uh, Instagram account under. I was lucky, I think you probably were too, that we were early adopters of social media and so able to go in and just get our own names and things. It's really the only upside of being an early adopter of social media. So for the next, presumably, however long it lasts, there will be every other John Roderick in the world is lined up behind me and their Gmail addresses are all at John Roderick 75100. They don't, at, they don't have to be numbers. At Ken Jennings. It could be at, like... At Ken the best guy ever Jennings. It could be John Roderick Sopranos fan or... Uh, right. Uh, and, you know, they're all on Instagram posting under the real John Roderick or whatever. <laughs> but I am just at John Roderick and everything. And it's wonderful. It's, I, it's, a, it's a thing I don't have to think about. And I've noticed it's true for you too. You have at Ken Jennings across all media. It never fails to crack me up that uh, Donald Trump could not get at Donald Trump and he's at real Donald Trump. I know. That's so great. I'm the real one. And he couldn't, he couldn't force some, he couldn't force that person to hand it over. <laughs> the art of the deal fails for the first time. <laughs> uh, you can email us and Ken will look at it uh, at omnibusproject at howstuffworks.com. You won't look at it? I, I, I look at it sometimes. I'm always afraid. I'm always afraid to open email because I'm, I just don't. the anthrax? I, I just don't, I don't know. I, yeah, right. They're going to anthrax me. No, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. The, you know, open communication is great and everything, but I definitely am shy of it too. They can't see you if that helps. They can't see that I'm sitting here in my robe with my, my uh, little bear slippers on. What if that's how it works? What if every time somebody <laughs> opened an email you sent, a little thing popped up on your screen and you could like see them reading it? <laughs> Stop! That would be the perfect medium. Uh, I do sometimes go on the Omnibus Futurelings Facebook page, although I probably shouldn't because it's another thing every once in a while in the middle of the night, someone will say, um, actually, and I'll reply with some scathing post where I'm like, don't you actually me? And, and then, then the sun comes up. And then I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry that I flamed that poor person who was probably trying to make a joke. Uh, but you can go to the Futurelings Facebook page. Hopefully I will not come in there and flame your... Post. People love it. People want it. 
Ken is in there. Very, he's very nice. He he interacts with people as they speculate about his personal life. If you, um, yeah, the ones I don't reply to, those are the ones that made me mad. You can tell. <laughs> you're just if like, if I don't reply, <laughs> your thread infuriated me. <laughs> We're total opposites. <laughs> I only reply to the ones that infuriate me. Uh, you can send us some viewer mail, and we just received a huge bin of viewer mail because I finally went to my. P.O. Box. And we got a lot. There actually was a uh, an insulting letter written in calligraphy directed was, at me. It was beautiful and very insulting. It was very, it was very beautiful. Very How did you nicely, feel? Th- was, was it like um, getting stabbed by a beautifully wrought dagger? No, no. This person is a dork. Was it like being bit by a? I don't care. <laughs> I don't care about their. I don't care about their funny joke that actually uh, they they meant. Seriously. It took them a long time. It did, and it was extremely well composed. It wasn't just that it was beautifully written. It was like, it was very articulately written. It was more of an Andropov than a yeah. Samantha Smith. And you could tell that the person actually was making a very serious point because they had thought, I mean, they, it was it was framed as a ironical letter, but it was also- But they, you think deep down, deep down they, they actually they, hate you. They really meant it. No, they don't hate <laughs> me. They, 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 uh, they had a good time writing it. I had a good time reading it but I want them to feel ashamed because why are you talking to me? <laughs> uh, you can send, oh, and there were other, there were wonderful, there's this wonderful postcard. It's a vintage postcard someone sent us that has a picture of the United Nations General Assembly. But on the back, the the caption says, the Golden Gate Bridge, and it talks all about the Golden <laughs> Gate. And it's a real postcard from real old times. It's not some, some it's gummed a, up I thing. bet that's a valuable rarity. Like that, that's worth millions at some postcard auction. Well, yeah, except that the, whoever sent it to us uh, actually like wrote on it, addressed it to us and sent it, but made no mention of the fact that the postcard was weird. They were just like, I found this postcard. To I, me, that's cooler. I bought it from an old man in a weird hat standing <laughs> on the side of the road. A couple of postcards with our names in kanji. We got a lot of, uh, oh, we got, we got a nice calendar from New Zealand of like naked girls. We got a... Uh, Spanish real that came out of somebody's garbage disposal. That's right. Uh, pirate, that, pirate treasure. That you and the writer both think is a fake real, but I'm going to proceed as though it were a real one. A, 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 a real one? A, a real real. Uh, I feel like it's definitely made of tin, but maybe... Maybe they were. Maybe they... I don't think they were, but I'm, I'm still going to... I'm still going to act as though it's... I'm going to give it to my child and say, treasure this. Yeah, we got some nice, oh, and a lot of nice Christmas cards. You asked for sunglasses and you got a pair of Ray-Bans. Oh, let me talk about that. Yeah, someone sent me a nice pair of old Ray-Bans and it's a pair of Ray-Bans I did not have in my collection. So thank you for those. They're beautiful. It's somebody who's been in your house. I'm going to treasure them. Saw which pair of Ray-Bans you didn't have. Then they quietly snuck out. They emailed me and then they could see in my house and they were <laughs> right. like, I see Can you move glasses. your laptop closer to your sunglasses collection? Anyway, write us, send us things, send us vintage sunglasses and um, and great, like, nudie calendars from New Zealand. Send nudie calendars for John and sunglasses for me. Why should he be the only one with sunglasses? Ken, Ken pulled out the nudie calendars and you could see, he was holding it up to show me, but you could see that he didn't want his fingers to touch it. So he was like, <laughs> he was like, um, here it is. One of the few things I can say about these hands <laughs> is they have no New Zealand porn on them. <laughs> well, they didn't. Until today. Uh, write us at P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Listeners, from our vantage point in your long-distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization will survive. Uh, like uh, Americans and S- Russians of Samantha Smith's generation, we hope and pray that uh, the catastrophe we fear may never come. But... Deep down, we worry. If the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word to you. But we hope that providence will allow us, as you imagine it, whatever providence is, uh, atheist, Soviet, uh, Politburo God, um, whatever you like, we hope that fate will allow us to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. Omnibus.